listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. What an awesome time of worship, of praising God uh, in community. I just love it. I really authentically love it. And so I, I just want to remind you before we dive into the word, this is a unique experience of fellowship. That church, the body of believers, the ecclesia, as the Greek word says, the collection of believers, this is a unique worship experience. Yes, we worship at home. Yes, we pray every day. But the experience of worshiping with other believers as we are formed into a dwelling place for God, that's manifest presence here. Praise God for that. We are in a series called Pardon Our Dust. And this series, Pardon Our Dust, is at least the tagline, if you will, for the series is Fixing the Cracks That Hinder Discipleship. And in fact, Pastor Jason, last week, as he introed the series, what he said was, is that really we're looking at fixing the cracks in our faith that hinder discipleship. When we think about the process of discipleship, many many images and concepts come to our mind. Um... But the problem is there are some cracks, whether it's within our faith or within our thought process, that we need to find and repair. We need to find them and repair them in order to have an effective discipleship process. That was the genesis of this series as we sat down as as a teaching team and thought about it. Um, We just felt that this was the next thing that God wanted us to really challenge ourselves as a church. And it's not just for... Um, for the attendees or for those that are members or those that are, it's for everyone, for leaders, high and low, for everyone that's a part of this church or that's just visiting. These are important questions and we must challenge ourselves in seeking to find the cracks that hinder discipleship. So Jason, Pastor Jason last week gave you a bird's view of what the series is all about. And so I'm just going to quickly mention the three diagnostic questions that he put forth and that we will be tackling in these next few weeks. He mentioned three diagnostic questions to find and repair the cracks. These are, first and foremost, am I a disciple of Jesus? Second, do I believe in the objective truth of the Bible? Brian will be bringing you that word next week, both the question and the answer. And then finally, how do I grow through the church family? Pastor Jason will then conclude the series with that question and its respective answer. I'm Ricardo. I'm part of the teaching team. If you don't know me, I teach math at CBU. I'm not going to do a math lecture, so calm down. Don't worry. I may make a few Marvel references and things like that, but no no math. Don't worry about it. Um, So when we look at these three questions, the purpose is first to, yes, ask them, but also to assess if we are answering them the right way. So the question helps us identify if there are cracks, because when our answers don't match with what they biblically should be, we've identified a crack. And then once we see what the Bible says, what Jesus speaks through his inspired word, then we fix the cracks. We repair them by substituting previous thoughts, concepts, or beliefs that we had before that were erroneous with the ones that God is teaching us. Today's question, am I a disciple of Jesus? 
It's funny because I was talking with Brian about his sermon, which is next week, and he was saying, this is a tough subject. I think all of these are tough questions now that I'm up here thinking about it, to ask ourselves, yeah, I've been going to church 20 years. What do you mean am I a disciple? I mean, it could be that we've been sitting our whole life in church and aren't a disciple. This is a reality. Jesus addresses this, so we must address it. I must ask myself this question every once in a while just to make sure. And we're not talking about lacking the security of salvation that God gives us. But this is a a healthy question to assess our discipleship. If I am a disciple, do I look like one? And if I'm not, then I should seek to become a disciple. So to be able to answer if I am a disciple, we must know what makes a disciple, right? I can't try to make up my own definition of a disciple and then see if I fit it. I must find the definition that we find in the gospel of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. The Greek word uh, pronounced uh, methetis for the, at least the noun version of disciple, meaning a disciple, is simply a learner or a pupil, okay? But if we look at the verb version of that, essentially it means to learn and to be apprised, or to, to, to acquire knowledge, excuse me, to be increased in one's knowledge, So, like the word suggests, disciple discipline, I study something, right? And so, that means it's a lifelong process till the day of completion in Jesus, where we come to the fullness of stature of Jesus Christ. Now, because of this, our main scripture, to dive into the question, am I a disciple, the main scripture today is Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, known as the Great Commission, And in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, I believe this is up on the screen, it says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first thing that we should note, if you just read a few verses before that, is that this disciple-making mission has been given to disciples. So if I am to make disciples as part of the mission church, I need to be a disciple. This great commission was given to disciples. This is why the question matters. Am I a disciple? Because if not, I can't make disciples effectively. Disciples make disciples. So the great commission is carried out by disciples and we finally arrive at the question at hand, what is a disciple? So that I can eventually ask, am I a disciple? Our first point today, a disciple is a genuine Christian. What's that? Someone that has repented from their sin and believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So I'm going to read that again, and you're also going to see on screen, I believe, some passages for you to complement and break down this bullet point. See, we don't like as teaching leaders to give you bullet points that feel right to us. These are bullet points that we feel under the guidance of the Holy Spirit are inspired by the Bible. And so every time I present to you some bullet point up here, we're going to back it up with the scripture. So these are some of the scriptures that might not be on the the screen today, but that I will use to complement this. 
So first, again, the first point is a disciple is a genuine Christian, someone that has repented from their sin and believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let's break that down. That's what we're going to do now. Acts 11.26 is the one that gives us, for this first bullet point, a mention of the fact that a disciple is a Christian. So, the first thing that we get out of this bullet point is that a substitute word for disciple is Christian. And this is important because there are ministries that have built their foundation on making disciples super-Christians. A disciple is not a super-Christian. A disciple is not a special category of, like, like, say, Jedi and then Jedi Master. Told you I was going to make stupid geek references. Sorry. A disciple is a Christian, period. In Acts eleven twenty six, it says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There it is. A disciple is a Christian. And what is a Christian? Someone who has professed their faith in Jesus. So the first part of the bullet point is establish a disciple is a Christian. That's historically how it happened. Disciples were first called Christians in Acts 11.26 in Antioch. But what about the next part of that bullet point? We said a disciple is a genuine Christian. What is that? Someone that repents and believes in Jesus as his Lord or as her Lord and as his or her Savior. So a Christian repents and believes, not just believes, a part that sometimes some people leave out the repent part or don't emphasize it enough. A Christian repents and believes. There are three other passages in the Gospels that are Great Commission passages, meaning they happen towards the end of the Gospel, just like the Matthew one we read, and where Jesus is addressing his disciples and giving them the commission. Uh, all three of these are, of course, in Mark and Luke and, um, and in John. And the ones that pertain particularly to the commission are in Mark and Luke. So we're going to read those so that we can see that repentance is essential to becoming a Christian. Once he establishes, go make a disciple, he says, this is what a disciple does. So let's see. Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, and this won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read it. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So now we've established the belief part. Again, if you're losing track, we're at bullet point one, and we said a Christian is a disciple, or a disciple is a Christian, and someone who repents and believes. So we've established the belief part. In Mark, or excuse me, in Luke 24, verses 46 through 47, again, towards the end of the gospel, when Jesus has given the commission to his current disciples, he says to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should offer and suffer, excuse me, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So there we have repentance. So back to bullet point one, a Christian is a disciple and what is a Christian? Someone who repents and believes. 
And in this verse, it might not seem like it, but repentance and belief are tied together because it says repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Repenting isn't enough to get forgiveness of sins, to be saved. Because then we could teach in this postmodern culture that, you know, any way is good as long as you're sorry for your sins. See, we have to understand God is both just and merciful. And he has, to be, he has to meet both requirements, the fact that he is merciful and he is just. If we only do repentance, then we get the merciful part, but we don't get the justice part. God must punish sins. So repentance through the proclamation of his name. It says, for the forgiveness of sins that should be proclaimed in his name, meaning forgiveness of sins through repentance is only available through Jesus. And that's why belief and repentance are two sides of the same coin. So hopefully I haven't lost you here, but we're still at bullet point one. A Christian is a disciple, and he is or she is someone that repents and believes. And you can't abandon belief for repentance or vice versa. They both come hand in hand. They are two sides of the same coin. In order for God to meet justice and mercy, Jesus comes into the picture. So repentance for the forgiveness of sins is available only through Jesus. Belief and repentance, both hand in hand. That's what faith is. We can't separate the two. Otherwise, why would have Jesus started his ministry in Mark 1 by saying, in fact, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He didn't say believe in the gospel. He starts his ministry by saying, repent and believe in the gospel. This was after John was arrested. Two sides of the same coin. And we're going to see this over and over again. Repentance and belief go hand in hand. So as we're still in bullet point one, keep in mind, we are asking ourselves if we are true disciples, is repentance at the core of our faith and walk? Is repentance a repentant life? Is that the mark of our life? Keep that in mind. One last passage to support this. This one will be on the screen because it's long. And I'm going to give you some background to this passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. We've often read it here, and you've often heard it before. This is the first mass conversion of Christians. So you've got to understand, this is important. This is the first mass sermon, if you will, outside of the sermons that Jesus had to people so that they could convert to Christianity, so that they could become disciples. So you have to understand what Peter, in this case, is going to say is essential. He's laying the groundwork. In fact, he is the rock upon which Christ built the church. So he's got to get this right. If he's going to set faith and repentance and all that the gospel encapsulates right, he must do it with all the details and the simplicity of the gospel. And so here's the background to the story. The disciples had just received the Holy Spirit. Pentecost had just happened. So these 11 disciples are together and they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. They get their initial filling and they start speaking in tongues. 
And in fact, they, they start proclaiming the wonders of God and, and Jews from different nations, in this case, it's specifically a group of Jews, Jews from different nations start to understand. Like, wait a minute, how do I understand this in my language? How do I understand this in this language? And some of the people that were there said, ah, they're drunk. Well, they were drunk in the spirit, but they weren't drunk with <laughs> new wine, as they suggest. And so as a response to this commotion, Peter stands up and does his first big sermon. And here it is. After, or excuse me, after he does this sermon, excuse me, we're skipping to verse 37. They've respond, they, they respond and they feel heartache. They feel guilty over the fact that, wow, I'm convicted by my sin and by the fact that Jesus was crucified for me. What shall we do? And so that's where we take it. After the sermon, verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, meaning they responded when they heard the sermon and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here it is, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Once again, not just repentance, but it says in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, justice and mercy can only be met if I recognize that I'm a sinner and that that is rightly punished in a just way in Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And here it is, the first mass conversion. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what, is it, what do they mean by saying they were added? They became disciples. They joined the group of the 11 current apostles and other disciples. First mass conversion. They became disciples. Now understand, a disciple is not a super Christian. They just became a disciple right then and there. They were added to the number of disciples right then and there. And it says it happened because they received his word. What was that word? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance and belief. Repentance and belief, hand in hand. Don't separate the two. It's convenient for us to separate the two. Don't separate them. So, bullet point number two, finally, if you're following the current uh, outline of this sermon, what we've done is first establish that a disciple is a Christian, and a Christian is someone who repents and believes in Jesus. Bullet point one. Bullet point number two, repentance is evident and ongoing in a disciple. Disciples don't stay comfortable with any sin. If you're wondering why we've been focusing today so much on the repentance part, is because when, again, as a teaching team, when we come together to discern what God is trying to speak, we try to ask ourselves, what is God speaking to the mission? And we find this challenge, again, to ourselves, the leadership, and also to everyone else. So we ask ourselves, is repentance evident and ongoing in us? Have we gotten comfortable with any sin? In the book of Acts, later on in Acts chapter 26, when Paul is speaking to King Agrippa, 
he says that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is in verse 20 of Acts 26. This one's also on the screen. I want you to pay attention. Why is Paul saying repent twice? The two different usages of the concept of repent. It says, once again, that when, again, excuse me, Paul is speaking to King Agrippa, he's making his case of the proclamation of the gospel and that he was to proclaim throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. So why did you say repent, Paul, and then say performing deeds in keeping with repentance? There are a lot of people who think they are disciples because when they first come to Christ or they, they maybe think they've come to Christ, they recognize, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry. And they make a profession of faith, but then as their life goes by, the fruit doesn't show Repentance. The fruit doesn't show repentance. My walk, my lifestyle must exhibit fruits in keeping with repentance. So if I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian, that means I believe and I've repented, but my walk is still showing that in fact my repentance is true. If there's ongoing sin in my life, I haven't really repented. Or if I'm not challenged by this message today, then I haven't really repented. We all have lapses. We're not perfect. Praise God. Jesus came for us because we're not perfect. Don't mistake what we're saying here. We're not saying you're supposed to be perfect. The real question here this morning is how do I react to unchecked sin in my life? Am I cool with it? Or am I trying to deal with it, no matter how many lapses I have? A disciple isn't a perfect, again, there isn't levels of discipleship where there's a person who's a super obeyer and another one that doesn't super obey and obeys okay. He's not a real disciple. No, it's a matter of what's our attitude and our heart towards sin. Amen. Do we get comfortable and just leave it there? And when preached, about our lifestyles and about our actions and about unchecked sin, how do we react? Are we convicted or are we just like, eh, it's okay? The, the, the reason this, this convicted me, I'm talking about myself here, okay? The reason this convicted me is because I feel that disciples often, true disciples, allow corners of sin in their life, small corners, And because we, in our human nature, think of sins in terms of size, we get okay with pockets of sin. Corners of sin, if you will. And and this is the mentality. Well, I don't kill, I don't commit adultery, I don't don't steal, but but maybe, maybe this other stuff I'm doing is okay to remain here. This is, you know, I have anger fits. So I'm going to leave those unchecked right now. Or I, you know, when maybe my wife tells me that my anger fits are bothering her, maybe I just, I say, yeah, yeah, I have to deal with it, but I don't seek help. I leave that corner, that pocket of sin unchecked. If you're a disciple, respond today by saying, you know what? I'm going to deal with this sin that's left unchecked in my life. 
See, we think about sizes of sins as disciples, and we often don't check our lifestyle for fruit that keeps repentance. Jesus says, I told you not to murder, but do you hate? I'm paraphrasing, right? Jesus says, yeah, you're not supposed to commit adultery, but do you allow lust to be a pattern in your life? Do you, I I told you not to, or, or that you can hate your enemy, but in reality, you're not supposed to hate your enemy. If he slaps you, you're supposed to show the other cheek. You're supposed to pray for those that persecute you. So Jesus challenges us to not leave pockets of sin in our life. That's what bullet point number two is all about. Us making sure that if we are disciples today and ongoing throughout the week as we sin every day because we can't help it, that we have an attitude of wartime mentality towards sin. I'm going to deal with you. I'm not just going to say, yeah, I'm supposed to deal with you, but I'm going to leave you there. I'm going to keep fruit, or I'm going to have fruit, excuse me, me, that it's keeping with repentance. No corners. I'm going to deal with it. I might lose battles, but I'm going to deal with it. I may have addictions, but I'm going to tackle it. And I may fail tomorrow, but am I tackling it? Am I seeking help? I may have issues with, with, with a coworker. Am I going to deal with it biblically or am I, gonna, am I gonna, going to keep finding blame to throw around? I know envy is there, but if, am I dealing with the envy in my life? Let's rise to the standard that Jesus gives us because he says you can't do it, but I can empower you to do it if you just walk in it. So repentance is evident and ongoing in a disciple. Disciples don't stay comfortable with sin. It doesn't mean you are perfect. It means you attack sin when you see it. You don't treat it lightly. Jesus calls us to not make crude jokes. Where, as one of my youth pastors used to say, you got to get your mind out of the gutter. He was a Texan, and that's my horrible Texan impression. <laughs> he used to say, you got to get your mind out of the gutter. I wasn't killing. I wasn't committing adultery, but I was making a lot of jokes that were innuendos, if you will, you know? And so I had allowed that little pocket in there. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but am I willing to face it? Do I have a wartime mentality against my sin? Because he will empower me and he will give me grace when I fail, but he wants us to tackle sin. The last bullet point today, we've had two bullet points. The third one today is, of course, disciples, their mark is that they bear much fruit. Amen. Disciples bear much fruit. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We're facing a question today here. And Jesus is giving us the recipe. Does our fruit keep in with the repentance and the gospel of belief in Jesus for salvation? Do I challenge the sins, the corners, the pockets in my life? I know this is an uncomfortable message, but hey, I'm sweating. (laughs) I'm sweating because I've got corners. I've got areas that I haven't faced in a while. 
And we all do. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to convict us to these things. Here's the good news, though. And this is just a parenthesis here for a second. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're not seeking fruit to earn your salvation. That's earned. Game over. Jesus got it. We are seeking fruit to make sure that our faith matches with our walk. Because that's the receipt that says, oh yeah, look, 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 he looks like a Christian. He's not perfect, but he looks like a Christian because his talk and his walk are parallel. They're together. He tries or she tries to live up to a life based on his or her gospel. Again, you may have all sorts of different issues It doesn't mean that they don't exist as a Christian. The question is, are we tackling them? Are we tackling them? Are we facing them head on? In Matthew 7, verses 19 through 23, it says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Am I a disciple? Again, this is a, I told you, Brian, this is a tough sermon. (laughs) I'm sweating up here. But... In our sin, we can get so distracted and think we're saying, yeah, you're, you are earning your salvation. No. But how am I reacting to the pockets of sin in my life? We all have pockets of sin in our life, and we will have them till the day of completion in Christ Jesus. We are works in progress. So there will always be pockets of sin. But how do I deal with them? What's my attitude towards them? Am I seeking to bear fruit that keeps in repentance? So here's what we've seen. Let's just do a recap of the whole sermon. Number one, a disciple is a Christian, and a Christian is someone who repents and believes, period. You're saved once you have true repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. Therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're a disciple. No super disciple, no junior disciple, no uh, master disciple. No, just a disciple. Ongoing, working on your life and fixing the sins that you find along the way. Number two, we said... Uh, where's number two? Repentance is evident and ongoing. Meaning repentance is just not, it's not just an initial repentance. I constantly check with my walk to see if there's pockets of sin. And they always are there. But will I tackle them? Will I deal with them? Will I seek help? Will I face it with the empowering work of the Holy Spirit? And then number three We said, disciples bear much fruit. That's why we've been tackling these three bullet points is so that we can assess if we're bearing fruit. I love that it says there, bear much fruit. It doesn't say bear X fruit. It doesn't say say bear 20,000 fruit. It doesn't give you a number. It says much fruit. And this much fruit is always a standard of comparison with us. Are we in comparison to our old life bearing much fruit? That's the key question here. So we ask ourselves, am I a disciple? And if I am a disciple, have I become undisciplined? 
If we are to have an effective discipleship, now let's bring this out back to the series. Let's unpack it into the series. If I'm to have an effective discipleship as the mission church, I must be an evident disciple. Not a perfect disciple, but a disciple that attacks sin when he sees it. Amen. And that seeks help when needed. Amen. That's why Pastor Jason so well last week used 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Let's find the cracks. Let's repair them. That's what this is about. So what I want to do now as the worship team starts coming back up is I want to allow a time. I'm not going to do it the old school way where we call people up front. No, I'm going to do it the new school millennial way, which is we bow our heads and we close our eyes and no one looks to those that raise their hands. But raising your hand is confessing. I'm going to allow an opportunity for those of you that have never maybe made a decision for Christ to, to seal your redemption today and to become a a pupil, as we said at the beginning, a follower of Jesus, someone who's committed to following him day in and day out, and that tackles sin. And I'm also going to provide an opportunity for those of us that have become undisciplined as disciples. Maybe we've allowed pockets of sin, but we haven't faced them. We haven't dealt with them. And if, if, if God is speaking to you today, don't, don't, Use that as an opportunity to understand that's not bad, that's good. That's good. He's speaking to you today because he's saying, I love you. Let's get this show back on the road. So as we take this time and, and, and reflect upon our lives, let's approach it with authenticity because God meets us authentically and he says, I give you Jesus because you can't save yourself because you can't bear fruit without me. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, thank you because we can receive, listen to this, we can receive conviction without condemnation. Thank you, Father, because we can receive conviction as followers, those of us that are followers, we can receive conviction without condemnation. And so if there's anyone today here whose heart is burning saying, I need a savior because I am a sinner like everyone else here, but I need to be declared holy. If there's anyone here today that right now you would speak into their life and say, I, Jesus died for you. Jesus died to take your place so that he would be the just, merciful solution to your sin. And all you have to do, as we've so overemphasized today, is repent and believe in Jesus. And if you are here today for the first time or you've been here for many years or you just were invited or whatever it is with everyone's heads bowed down and eyes closed, if you are receiving Jesus as your savior for the first time, would you just lift your hand up today? If you want to make that invitation and say, Jesus, I invite you to be my savior with everyone's eyes closed. Thank you. I'm still allowing just a few seconds. Anyone else that wants to slip up their hand, you can go ahead and put your hand down. Whoever just put it up, I just saw you. Everyone's eyes closed. Anyone else that wants to, to lift up their hand and say, yes, I've never accepted you. I've never done this before and I want you to save me. End of story. 
And now I want to move on to those of us that are disciples. Those of us that declared you as Lord and Savior of our life. And like all of us, leaders and non-leaders, super Christians or not super Christians, like all of us, we've allowed maybe some pockets of sin because we are pupils, we learn, but we haven't addressed the pockets of sin. If you have some pockets of sin that you know you've been leaving unchecked, raise your hand, praise God, hands all over the room, keep your, your heads down and eyes closed, hands all over the room, praise God, God is at work today, discipling, Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Hands all over the room. Praise God. Father, we pray that these souls would be blessed today. For the person that accepted Jesus for the first time, that that you would give them a new sense of freedom in you and that they would seek to walk like you and that when they fail, they say, yes, I've been forgiven, but I'm going to deal with it. That's all it is. I'm going to deal with it. And for those of us that, that have recommitted some pockets of sin in our life, that you would give us right now an anointed power of the Holy Spirit to break those areas. And, and here's the thing, that we would break down our pride and seek help. That's what discipleship is about, seeking help from others. I go to Pastor Jason all the time and ask for help so that we would just be accountable with each other and ask for help when we need it. You can put all your hands down. We just want to thank you and worship you, Father. At this point, I'm going to invite the ushers forward for the tithes and offering as we move into our last portion of the service, giving and worshiping. And we just want to ask that you would bless the tithes and offering that they would be multiplied to help those in the city of Redlands and beyond. But more importantly, that giving would be an opportunity for us to worship you. Big quantity, small quantity, doesn't matter. That we would give generously out of a grateful heart. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.